Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. Today, we are going to be keeping it in-house. I'm going to be interviewing Jonathan because we've been receiving a lot of questions on a subject that is something he knows very well and thought it would be a good time to kind of step back and do that. But before I dive in, John, if you want to tell everyone, hi. Thanks, Shenandoah. Hello, everyone. It's nice to... uh... This is like twice I've gotten to do this myself, so I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to contribute a little bit more than usual today. And before we get started today, I also wanted to announce some um, news I am saddened by and excited by at the same time. Um, so uh, Shenandoah is going to be leaving us as my co-host here. Um, She's gotten uh, very busy and had some uh, amazing opportunities to continue to uh, grow her career. So I'm sad we won't be co-hosting anymore, um, but I am really genuinely happy and excited uh, for you, Shenandoah. And, um, you know, it seems like your your next endeavor is going to be a really exciting one. So I wanted to congratulate you, but also kind of share that with the audience. And thank you, John. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It's It's been fun. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't uh, do it all. There's only so many hours in the day. And one of me, I haven't figured out how to clone myself yet. Um, and so that's all I could do. And so yeah, you're just gonna have to find somebody else to keep you on track and uh, keep you level headed <laughs> moving <Yes>. forward. <laughs> Well, good luck with that. I don't know if I can find someone to do either of those things for me. But uh, honestly, thanks for you know for for doing all this. And uh, as I like to say, it is not a goodbye. It is a see you later. So we're still friends. We're still working together on some stuff. And um, you know, it's very excited for you and uh, and your new path. So uh, with that being said, I also wanted to announce to our listeners. Uh, we're going to just start publishing these or bringing these out into the world, I guess I should say, uh, every other week instead of weekly. Um, as Shenandoah transitions out uh, with the workload, et cetera, uh, we're going to go to an every other week uh, format, uh, but we will still have amazing guests and amazing uh, content. So uh, I think it'll be more of the same. You'll just have to wait an extra week to get it. So with that being said, Shen, I'll just kind of send it back to you for our last hurrah together, and we'll have to make this one uh, a really good one. Well, I definitely think it's going to be a good one um, because it is something that y'all have figured out and done pretty well and are really starting to fine tune now. And that's that, um, you know, we've got a lot of advisors that are reaching that point. They're hitting maybe about a, a million in production and they're starting to think about, okay, I need to hire someone. What does that look like? Who is it? How am I doing this? Um, a lot of questions come up around that topic. It's a, it's a, a good thing to be that busy and to want to grow, but how do you really make that first hire really count? Uh, so with that, like you want to take it away and kind of set us up? You asked four questions. Should I answer them all right away or we'll go slow? Hey, hey this is classic cutting. You know, I'm saying this is your whole format is I'm going to ask you five questions and you got to keep up. That's how it works. I'm ready. I'm good. I could, I could, uh, I could do it. So, um, 
You know, I think it's a great topic. And, and when you when you suggested it, um, it made a lot of sense uh, to me. And I know we've gotten some questions from some of the people we coach out there as well. So, um, you know, and, and we've hit this on some of the podcasts in different ways, but maybe today we can just go, you know, a little bit deeper, right? So we get it a lot, right? Hey, I'm an advisor. I built my business. I'm successful. I think you're right, Shenandoah. I think it's I'm doing 800,000, a million, a million two, a million five, uh, maybe more, something in that range. And to your point a minute ago, I don't know how to clone myself, right? Just like you couldn't clone yourself, uh, advisors don't know how to do that either. Um, and it's really around, um, in my opinion, you either get stuck at that level as an advisor and you'll always be that million dollar-ish producer Maybe the business grows by four or five or 6% a year, um, but you can't grow it into a early ensemble or a mature ensemble or a team practice. And it's, it's hard, right? And, and I think the reason uh, it is hard is it takes trust. It takes giving up control and it, it takes trusting another human uh, with clients that you've worked really hard to actually build. And it really goes kind of against the DNA um, of an advisor and a lot of how advisors were brought up in, in, you know, into the business. So, you know, what I would say Shenandoah is if, if, if you think this is the right format, um, I can kind of talk about um, kind of how to find that right person, you know, the type of candidate that you might be looking for. And then we can move into how to structure it like, what, what does that person do? What does compensation look like? Uh, what does the career track look like? And then maybe we go into some of the, you know, maybe some of the pitfalls and uh, things along those lines. Does that sound like a good spot? Yeah. So, and just to kind of clarify, we're talking about bringing on a junior advisor in this role, not just a support staff, but this is when you're actually thinking, okay, I need a, a mini me, as John likes to say, or something to that effect. So yeah, if you want to start, you're starting to have the, those thoughts how do you pick that person to begin with? Yeah, well, and, and I just want to clarify, I think you're exactly right. But but what I'll share is I actually think in most cases, uh, and the way I've historically done it, um, it does actually start with someone who is in a bit of a hybrid role, right? So it might be someone who is licensed, right, or interested in getting licensed, maybe in the beginning, who might have been a staff person, that wants to move into becoming an advisor um, and that you've already got this relationship and trust with. So I think the key here, guys, is, um, you know, it's really hard. I, I, I don't personally even bring people directly into the business and then say immediately, you're an advisor, here's a bunch of clients to go run, right? So there is a process that you ultimately go through. So I talk a lot when I recruit um, and I think this is a great way to pose it. If you're an advisor looking for someone in this role, I talk about finders, minders, and grinders, right? And a lot of you probably heard that term. In every business, there should be a finder, a minder, and grinders. And I would define a finder as someone who is hopefully listening to this podcast, right? Who wants to create quantum growth in their own business that is good at business development, and growing a business organically, marketing, inorganic growth, folks that are, are really looking to, to grow and that their natural strength is to find business, right? The second category is a minder. 
which to me is a is somebody who is really good at relationships. What they enjoy most about the wealth management business is people, dealing with people, helping people achieve their goals. That's where they get their satisfaction from. Um, and then, you know, grinders are generally folks that like to be behind a com computer more, right, in today's world and might not be quite as much of a people person, uh, but that are analytical in nature and like to solve problems and put together portfolios and financial plans and so on and et cetera. So I kind of frame it out that way to say, I think what we're really looking for as advisors to find your mini me is to actually find someone who takes a lot of satisfaction and their natural tendency is to be a really good minder. They want to take care of clients. Their strong suit is not necessarily business development. They might not be and probably aren't uber successful in the financial services industry, but they're quite competent and could do an unbelievably good job for clients. No, I think that's really great. And, and definitely, I, I know we've talked about it before, but in this context, I think it means makes a lot of sense because sometimes they think they want either that, that finder or that grinder, but really you need that minder because usually you're already entrepreneurial. The, the senior advisor is filling that finder role and you've got support staff maybe handling the grinder part, but you need someone who can just manage the relationship. Yep, exactly right. And I think I think if if you've built that million dollar business on your own and you don't have a team in place and a junior advisor, chances are you're a pretty good finder, right? Because it's not easy to build a million dollar business. And I think as I think about how I did it, the best way to describe it maybe would be to describe two people on my team, right? So um, one of the biggest advisors on my team right now who actually runs about a billion dollars uh, for the organization, just shy of it, uh, his name is Evan Brampton, and I talk about Evan a lot because he's been with me the longest. Uh, he started off as my intern. I mean, li literally, Evan was my intern. His mom and dad were, I think, my fifth or sixth client going back to 1994. And um, Evan was my my assistant. He he was unlicensed when I met him. I got I helped him get licensed. He sat in meetings with me. He filled out my applications. He did my paperwork. And then we created a career path, right? So if you, if you really kind of think about it, my belief is the best way to ultimately find junior advisors in your business is to create, I've heard it even referred to as almost like a diamond, right? Where, you know, the top of the diamond, if you could picture the four points, right? Of a, you know, of a diamond, um, meaning like a baseball diamond, not like a diamond that you wear on your, on your, on your ring. We're not getting fancy now. Yes, not a fancy <laughs> diamond. This is a simple baseball diamond. You have home plate, first base, second base, third base, that kind of diamond. If you think about second base, right, in that analogy, you, the senior advisor, are playing second base. Um, you're the senior advisor. And then in, in a lot of practices, what you have is just someone playing second base, and then you have someone at home plate and there's nothing else. There's a senior advisor, there's an administrative person and that's how the operation actually rolls. So the first step is to get that person at home plate, that administrative person to actually go to either first base or third base. Meaning now it becomes you as the advisor, right? The senior advisor. And then to be able to have one person, let's say at third base, who's a junior advisor, or in my business, we call an associate financial advisor. 
And as soon as that happens, the key is, and this is where most advisors make the mistake, is they don't want to replenish and put someone back at home plate. They don't want to go hire another administrative person. And they ask that junior advisor now, who was promoted from an administrative person, they ask that person to wear both hats. And usually it's a cost thing, right? Because it becomes costly to do that. If you make that extra investment, you bring that administrative person on, the person playing third right now becomes a junior or associate advisor. And that person's role becomes to work with you side by side in what I like to call the nurse doctor role with an ultimate expectation that that junior person will work with the bottom of your book of business, where you as the senior advisor over say a three-year period, developing them, sitting in meetings with your clients until that trust is built, get to a point where let's say you have 300 clients in your book of business. I like to think of it where the senior advisor will work with the top 30 or 40%, right? And the junior advisor, and over time, the second junior advisor rounding out that diamond could work with that bottom 50 or 60 or 60 or 70%, let's say, of the business. So you keep funneling in people into an administrative role, licensed power planner to become that junior advisor. Your role as the senior advisor becomes really to do one or two things. Once you've been able to transition some of those relationships, it could be one, you have more time to rain make, which is what got you to a million dollar producer in the first place. Or two, it could be to spend more time on leadership and development and teaching those two associate or junior advisors how to grow their business and create rainmaking skills themselves. So I know that was a lot all at once, but if you can kind of think of that visual, right, of a baseball field, and you think about that, the key being advisors try to get one person to be a Swiss army knife, as opposed to actually hiring ahead of what you might think you're ready for from a firm perspective and from an economic perspective. No, and that's a, a great way to go about it in terms of being, um, you know, making it, scaling it at a, a pace that you can handle instead of, like you said, trying to put that more focused person in a specific place and trying to make sure you can get them up and running quickly because you've got that, there's always that, you know, chicken and an egg situation in terms of having enough growth to be able to, to handle things. Um, especially if you're thinking at, about the economics of it. And so with that in mind, you know, how, how would you start thinking about structuring the roles and responsibilities and then the appropriate compensation with that if you're looking at them to be a Swiss army, you know, it, it, kind of a, a role, being able to make sure that it makes economic sense uh, that you're bringing that person into that um, and it, that there's time. Like you talked about three years of them serving as a, a nurse to the, the doctor in this case, you know, before they're really able to fully up and run their own book of business, um, you know, how do you go about structuring that so that it makes economic sense for the firm as well? Yeah, no, great, great question. And um, yeah, it's really is. It's, it's, a, it's an apprenticeship, if you think about it, right? Nurse, doctor role, apprenticeship. Um, you, know, you can call it a lot of different things. I think what it really comes down to Shenandoah is a bit of a mindset, right? So um, when you just think about it, the traditional advisor model from back in the day, going back to the wirehouses, where, which is where most advisors grew up, or was, was the model, right, of 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or, or longer years ago, 
it was you got to a point as a producer, a producer's job was to rain make, bring business in. And if you got to a certain level, the firm would pay for a sales assistant, right? It wasn't the firm would pay for another advisor. It was the firm would pay for a sales assistant. So the first piece is we have to think about it and go, if we want to scale behind, above and beyond that million dollar plus level, um, we actually have to create a career path that's compelling for someone who wants to be an advisor. Now, the good news is it's much harder today to build a book of business from scratch. It's way harder. Cold calling it doesn't really exist as it did years ago. The dinner seminar market, not as strong as it once was. So really most young talent wants to join a larger team where they have a book of business that over time they can earn the right to work with, et cetera. So when I think about a career path, you know, many advisors look to hire administrative people and their goal for that person is to stay in an administrative role. And there's a cap to what their career looks like. And that's an advisor who's looking to build a lifestyle practice. I want to do a million, million and a half, maybe two million if I'm really good at business, have a person or two support me and I'll do all the client work and someone else will do everything else, right? What we're talking about here is different. This is about building an ensemble practice, building more equity, building real value right within a business. And in order to do that, you need more advisors than just yourself to be able to scale the business. So when I think about career track, and if you're listening, you might want to write this down. You know, one of the things we created in our firm is a defined in writing career track where you can come into the firm at as entry level of a position as an intern, right? And from an intern, you can go to, to a unlicensed sales assistant, which can then go to a licensed power planner, which can then go to a junior advisor or associate financial advisor, which then turns into a senior advisor, which could then turn into a uh, profit partner, and then ultimately an equity partner. And every time I interview someone, I present to them that career path. Now, there are folks in the organization, and every organization will want people who say, I don't want to be an advisor. I, I want to be a power planner, or I want to be an administrative assistant, or I want to do financial planning as a business ultimately grows. So that's absolutely fine. And there's folks that that's their best and highest use and what, what they'll be best at in the firm. But for those who want to grow, if you don't give them a career path, they'll ultimately leave. Now, here's the interesting part, Shenandoah, you ask about compensation. And I'll be happy to kind of give ranges and depending on where you live in the country and et cetera, they probably vary some. But when you hire an advisor in the industry, and I think this is what most advisors try to do, is they try to find someone from another broker dealer or an RIA who already was a financial or is a financial advisor. He or she might have a book of business. He or she might make a reasonably good living right now. And then they try to re recruit that person directly into the business and have them work with their clientele. The problem is that person already understands how much money you can make as a financial advisor and did the work of building a business on his or her own. Therefore, they don't generally wanna be someone's junior. But yet 
the industry repeatedly tries to do that on the independent side and then wonders why that advisor, unless you have an unbelievably compelling value proposition, which some do, I think that's, we, we do some of what I just described now, but that's because we bring hundreds of clients a year in and we have an inorganic growth strategy. But for a million dollar, a million and a half dollar producer, they don't have that value proposition yet that they can provide all this value to that particular advisor. So I share that to say, when someone gets promoted from licensed power planner to servicing advisor, it's a lot less expensive to the firm when you think about profitability of what you need to pay that individual and, and what they believe their value is because they didn't develop their value on their own. You develop their value in your ecosystem. That makes some sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's definitely, um, like you said, that you're kind of trying to turn an entrepreneur into, I wouldn't say an employee. I mean, they're a team member, but you're trying to force an entrepreneur into an employee hole if you're doing that outside recruiting in that way versus cultivating talent internally. And, and like you said, having a very clear career path for whatever they want for themselves and that their goal is. And you're going to have different people that are going to want to achieve different levels. But, uh, you know, and there's also too, I know we've talked about this in the past too, like it, it not only is it more cost effective, but there's that bringing them up within the firm, they learn how to do things the way you do them. You're, they're not bringing in those outside bad habits that sometimes can cause more problems than they're worth. <laughs> and I know everybody's got stories. <laughs> you, you got it. Culture, right? You're talking about culture and you getting to put your imprint on how someone views the the financial planning industry, uh, or whatever it is you describe as what you do, what they learn is your way of doing business. So they're not coming in with their way of doing business. They're not coming in with a work culture that I do my own thing. So Fridays at noon, I'm gone for the day, or I play golf every Friday in the summer, which are all things that we as advisors value. But it's different. If you built the business, you ultimately get to make those decisions. If you are in a business that someone else built and offered a career path, not to say you don't earn those rights down the road, but short term, you've got to kind of earn your stripes, right? And work within the system that actually, you know, has been developed. So I think you're absolutely right. You don't get those bad habits, which is really important. And you're training the person to view the business and how you serve clients the way you do. And they'll be really excited because to go from a, if your, if your goal is to become a partner in a firm or a senior advisor, that's what you're striving to. It's less about the money to go from power planner to junior advisor or AFA than it is about the title. Does that make sense? So not to say that you don't want to reward, you want to pay fairly and you want to, you want to reward people for their efforts. But as a business owner, it's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I can't afford an advisor because... You know, I, I'm not going to make any more money. In fact, if I actually have my clients served by someone else, the biggest fear is, well, maybe some of the clients will leave or maybe the revenue will go down or they won't be as comfortable with someone less experienced, right? So if you can structure it in the way that we're describing, that, employee, that employment cost is actually a lot less expensive and you're constantly building your bench by bringing people in with a career track and ultimately developing them to go from assistant to power planner, you know, so on and et cetera. So to answer the question you asked, as you know, I go down rabbit holes kind of quickly, 
Um, you know, for, for an administrative person, in, in my world at least, um, they're usually earning somewhere in the, call it high 30s to $50,000 range, depending on experience, sometimes more, um, really depending on experience. When someone becomes a licensed power planner, that, that's probably more like in the 50 to as much as $100,000 range based on experience. And then a starting financial advisor, right, in that associate role is probably in that 80 to $130,000 range. And then as you start to run a much larger book of business, et cetera, et cetera, uh, obviously the numbers could get into hundreds of thousands of dollars and in some cases even more. But that gives you kind of the parameters of that. So in, to, to be very direct, from power planner to junior advisor, if you've homegrown that person, you're probably talking about probably $70,000 to $90,000 of all-in costs to employ another financial advisor who can ultimately, by the time that three to four year period where the transition of your clients to that advisor has happened and they're ready for it and you've kind of made that relationship work, you're probably talking about you know, $120,000, $150,000 maybe of total expense. But the beauty here is if you're doing a million or a million and a half a year in revenue and you can free it up, so only a third of your time is now working with clients, right? Because this new advisor can work with the balance of the clients. What is your time now worth to spend two thirds of your time developing business, leading people, looking for opportunities, so on, et cetera? No, absolutely. And I think uh, you did a really great job of kind of what those stair steps are and kind of what those ranges are and, and what, you know, in terms of thinking of, of setting the, um, the benchmarks for the advisors that are listening. Um, and that gives us some benchmarks in terms of, of you know, economic ranges, but what are the expectations that you need to set as well? As I, I, that's where I hear a lot of advisors getting it wrong is the, the compensation in relation to the expectations are not set clearly, both the uh, senior advisor and then the advisor that's coming up completely have, they haven't really clarified those, those expectations across the board. So can you talk about that a little bit about, you know, making sure you're setting those expectations clearly what they might need to be? 100%. And I think uh, you hit a great point. Um, the first thing is there has to be expectations. So the biggest mistakes advisors make um, is there are no expectations because they've never done it before. Right. And what, and what's interesting, I said this to one of my, uh, one of my colleagues, I think yesterday, um, maybe it was the day before, um, but I said, you know, what's interesting is a lot of times, even in my business today, we get the role right, meaning we get the vision that we want of someone to play the role, but it takes us two or three times to get the person right and to do, to, to have the firm run the play the right way so that the person in the role actually is treated the right way and has the right expectations and it is clear. Does that make sense? So for me, as an example, just to go off a, again in a little bit of a rabbit hole, um, we had those problems with advisors when we first started bringing on advisors, right? Where our retention wasn't really good um, because we didn't have clear expectations. And then I hired a COO, wasn't, I didn't get the right person the right time. It didn't work out exactly the way I thought. Now I just hired a COO who I think is amazing because now it's a two-way street. I know what to look for in the person 
and I actually know what to expect from the role, right? And so on and et cetera. So we've had that learning by failing, right? Just like go back to your first administrative person, probably hire the administrative person, he or she might not be with you anymore. And you might look at it and go, was it just because I hired the first person that said yes? Or was it because I didn't know how to lead that person? And you get better and you grow over time. So I think having clear expectations is really important. And you know, we for those of you who listen to us often, you've all heard from Ray Kelly, right? Who's my coach and coaches our firm. And he's got this thing that he just talks about titles and money, right? This kind of chart. He talks about titles and money and compensation. I'm sorry, he talks about role and responsibility uh, versus titles, money, and compensation. And he talks about throughout a career, um, it's very rare that you have the right title and the right compensation based on the value that you provide to a company, right? So one of the things that we do within our own culture is we're very clear and transparent to that junior advisor that right now we're making an investment in you. We actually don't need an advisor today. I'm, I'm the advisor, things are going quite well. However, we're doing a million in business and my goal is to do 3 million. So while I'm not ready for another advisor right now, I'm going to make an investment in you because the only way I can get there is by actually starting early and hiring ahead. And in order for me to do that, I might not be able to pay you exactly what you want. It might be a little bit less. You might do a little bit more and be more valuable, but let me show you what it will look like in three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road. If you're going to accept this job, you have to understand that. Now you're gonna be paid fairly, but right now I've got to kind of figure this thing out and you're going to be my guinea pig and we're going to figure it out together. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, you know, alongside you, but here's the good news, Mr. And Mrs. New potential junior advisor. If we get it right. And I go back to my baseball diamond analogy, right? Every, at some point you're going to hit capacity when you're an associate advisor. So again, Second base, senior advisor. That's me now as the advisor. Third base is you as an associate advisor. First base, at some point, will be a second associate advisor and will always be backfilling at home plate with an, an administrative person who wants to become a power planner, right? Sometimes there'll just be multiple people at home plate because we might have people who always want to be that administrative person, right? But every time we get to a certain level of business, we're gonna start a whole nother diamond. And you're gonna be the first person if you do a good job to graduate, you're gonna go from third base, and I'm gonna put you at the top of the diamond, you're gonna now be at second base, and we've gotta go get an administrative person for you, and you've gotta get busy enough, so you need that administrative person to become a junior advisor, and then we're gonna get a second, and so on and et cetera, and you keep developing the bench, you keep developing talent, and what you're also doing, guys, is you're protecting your business. What do I mean when I say that? Your clients now know four people on your team. You as the senior advisor, one or two of the junior advisors and the administrative person. So one of the biggest fears advisors have is, well, what if that advisor leaves and he or she takes all my clients? Now, you could have a great, a great agreement, and you should, right? 
to protect your, your clientele. But if they leave, the propensity for the client to follow them when they've been working with four members of the team for years is a lot lower than if you just are in a silo and it's one person that they're dealing with. So it's constant development. It's a constant bench. It's clear expectations on what compensation and career track ultimately look like. No, that definitely sets it up really well. And and I like too that you brought up that that it creates stickiness with the client. Um, and it creates stickiness with the team because you're you're creating that loyalty and the fact that you know they've been cultivated from the ground up. Um, but again, you've got stickiness with the client and that takes that big issue off the table and helps yeah, and, helps minimize and, that. Shenandoah, another unintended consequence of it is for advisors who are running a million dollar book, right? The Pareto principle always comes into play. Generally, right? You know, every business is a little different. They say, they call it the 80-20 rule. I really think it's more like a 40%, 80% rule, meaning the top 40% of most advisors' books represent about 80% of their business and assets, 70 to 80%. Um, but there is more gold in that bottom 60% that you as the advisor are generally not going to get to, but that goal, that those clients are gold to a junior advisor who just got promoted, who will go out and win that extra small rollover or life insurance policy or financial planning engagement, et cetera. So it actually done right, creates more revenue. And that junior person becomes a profit center a lot earlier because you're able to actually right size and properly segment your clientele. No, excellent. And again, too, you're kind of creating that, uh, you know, rolling diamond or pyramid with your clients in that regard as well. So it's just, again, a lot of positives to it. Um, but as you were talking, what I started thinking about, and you were talking about you know, these new diamonds forming and the organization changing over time, your role as the founding advisor is going to change over time too. And that is something I also see a lot of advisors struggle with is letting, letting go, even if they have the trust, but rethinking their role and what they should be focusing on. So how does the senior advisor's role change as you start bringing in these other folks? Yeah, great question. And um, I, I think I, I hit it softly before. So I think it's twofold, right? And, and I think every advisor will be a little different. Some advisors will pour all of their energy into business development and say, <clears throat> I built this business 15 years ago. Now it does a million a year in revenue and I'm so busy serving my clients. I have no time to be at the country club rainmaking or to be partnering with CPA firms. As you know, that's a big part of, uh, of our model, so on, et cetera. So a lot of advisors will choose that path and say, now I can go rainmake again and bring you know, tens or 20 or $50 million a year of new assets in, um, or look for inorganic growth opportunities, right? Meaning I'm going to go acquire businesses. I'm going to recruit advisors from the outside with larger books of business, et cetera. And then I think separately, some advisors, and it could be a piece of both, by the way, I do both in my practice, uh, but could say, I'm going to just spend way more time on my culture. I'm going to, I'm going to develop my people. I'm going to do a lot of the things we talk about on this podcast, right? I'm going to create a vision, uh, values, mission of the firm. We're going to create strategic plans, make sure that we've got a mechanism to grow our people, right? So that they can develop 
their advisor skills, their sales skills, their leadership skills. So this is the first step though, Shenandoah, for you know the, the advisors that are gonna be listening to this podcast that are asking questions and have a lot of interest in this. Step one, I mean, it's like, it's like building blocks, just like, you know, I'm always, as you know, on to the next, as you, as are you. So you're already seeing, well, after you build your first kind of diamond, as you're calling it, you could build your next and then your next. And, and the, the business just keeps infinitely scaling. Um, and I see that and it's, it's the same, um, you know, as to what is that, that lead advisor today that we're talking to, what do they do next? And there's a bunch of different things, but the first part is you got to walk before you can crawl. And the first thing is you have to actually learn the skill set of how you get your clients to one advisor, right? And get comfortable with that and get he or she to be able to do that job well and create a career track where they're going to stay with you for their you know, entire career. And just to drill down on that a little bit, um, and we were even recognizing this in our own business because we're going through a lot of growth and brought a lot of advisors in. Um, when someone starts in an administrative position, they understand all the back office stuff, probably better than you do, right? So they understand how to make trades and they understand how to put together financial plans and schedule meetings and use the CRM system and do financial planning, right? What they've never been trained to do, and this is what's missing in the industry, by the way, and why advisors are struggling with it, is I went through a great training program with 18 people in my training class and I learned how to sell. And I learned how to conduct a review meeting. And I learned about estate planning concepts and how to present a life insurance policy or an annuity or mutual funds or asset allocation. And I got uncomfortable presenting in front of my peers every single week. I was blessed to have a great training program, just like everyone who went through a wirehouse. That's how we all became financial advisors. We might not give credit, but very few of us started an independent practice from scratch and built the business and we just figured it out, right? We had mentors and coaches and leaders who taught us how to sell, become a, a run a good service meeting, run a client service model, follow through, how to be conscientious, how to build relationships with people, how to be a good listener, so on, et cetera, pick up social styles. That's the stuff that you as an advisor need to teach your power planner that's aspiring to be an advisor. So the real key to this thing, Shenandoah, is figuring out either internally or you can outsource it, you can hire someone to help you with it, but you actually have to train that person how to be an advisor, how to run a client service meeting, how to pick mutual funds, how to present to clients and so on, et cetera. That's the part that advisors don't know how to do or realize that they need to do. And the doctor nurse model of the advisor observing you is helpful. They get to see you do it. They will learn some from that. But again, as Mr. Dr. Ray Kelly, not really a doctor, uh, says is adult learning is about 80%, I think it's his statistic, I always forget his statistics, doing. It's not observing. I can watch someone do something over and over and over again until I do it over and over and over again, I will not get really good at it. And that's the key, it's role play, it's that experience with some of your smaller clients. Now that's great, because I actually was gonna ask you, like what are those things that you need to be training and teaching um, that you're, and you just, 
went right there for it uh, but I even got to that point. Um, but I, and I really like to, like you talked about the doing thing, because a lot of times they try to rush the process and you say it's about three years to really cultivate someone who's already got that backend knowledge. It's, it's not even right off the street, but somebody that's already kind of in the system, knows the system, understands it. And then there still is another three-year process before they really can just run with it on their own and actually run a whole book of business. Yeah, and what you'll have to remember too, Shenandoah, I think you're exactly right. Uh, two points I'd make here. One is you as the advisor who you know built the firm, right? You built it from zero to what it is today. You had a lot of experiences. You've had a lot of doors slammed. You built it on the telephone. You sat at kitchen tables. I mean, I have. we all have all these stories. When you get together with old advisors, I remember clients making me take my shoes off, dogs biting me to pick up a $2,000 IRA back in the day. That experience of influencing that client because you needed to make a sale that week, so you got a paycheck, and we all we were all there at some point when we started in the career. That's lost on the 27-year-old who's been in your firm that got paid a salary day one to help support your business. He or she cannot understand that because they never lived through that, and unfortunately, it's not their fault there's just no, not very many opportunities to build a business that way anymore. So it's just an experience that we're all lucky enough that we had to get through that made us better. But the people who work in your organization, you can't hold them responsible for not having that killer instinct. I, I call it, and you know, uh, it, it kind of gets the point across. Um, and people in my office think it's funny sometimes when I say it, although they probably wonder if I'm talking about them, but there's a difference between a domesticated cat and an alley cat, right? So you think about a domesticated cat that you took home from the, uh, the pet store, right? Or you adopted that every day you put out the cat food and there's a place for the cat to use the bathroom and you pet it and it sits on your lap and you put a little blankie on and it snuggles with you, right? Domesticated cat. Now a feral cat or a street cat, right? How to learn how to get food out of the dumpster right? And fight for that food sometimes. And when it was cold out, figured out a way to keep warm. So most advisors who've built million dollar businesses are feral cats. They're alley cats. They figure that on their own. Most advisors or junior folks that come to work for you, you made them not alley cats, right? You made them actually a domesticated cat. So what do you expect for that person? So you have to have that P word, I hate, I hate it. I'm not good at it either. As you know, Shenandoah, it's called patience. And you have to actually develop that person. Um, and you also have to understand, which is really hard for advisors to, to, to get, they're probably not going to be as good as you. They're not going to do it exactly the way you would. Maybe they won't, won't win all the business that you do. Maybe the clients won't give them quite as many referrals, right? So what you have to do as an advisor is you have to weigh out What's more valuable? Is it more valuable to have everything perfect, to do everything myself, to win all the business every time and to be in control and struggle to go from a million to two? Or is it more valuable to me in my career to bring someone in, deal with a personality because developing someone, no matter how you like it, they're going to frustrate you, help develop that person, hope that you can get them where you need to be understanding they'll never be quite as good as you are, but know that if you can learn that skill set with one person, you can do it with 20, 
And then if you've really got the ability to be a rainmaker and a finder, you could infinitely scale your business to billions and billions of dollars of AUM and revenue and enterprise value and affect a lot more people, both your employees and your clients. So I think it's a good spot to kind of pivot and kind of wrap things up here, Shannon, though I think we're just about out of time. But that, if as, to the listeners, that's the decision you have to make. And the last point that I really want to drive home is it's hard, number one. It's expensive, more expensive than not doing it. Number two, you may fail your first time or two in trying to do it and learn some expensive lessons. Um, but if you can figure it out, you'll look at our industry and our business in a whole different way. And you'll genuinely be able to build a business as big as you'd like, because there are lots of Americans out there that need financial planning advice. And if you can't figure out how to build that capacity, unfortunately, they're just not going to be able to work with you and your firm. No, that's excellent. And I think that really wraps us up pretty nicely in terms of, again, just thinking about, uh, you know, setting your own expectations if you're looking at your own practice moving forward. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a frustrating process, but it's worth it. Um, and it's different than doing it on your own. Um, so lots of things to think about. I think our advisors who uh, reached out to us on this topic have lots of um, tactical things to look into to start considering building into their own practice. Um, and I'm sure we'll be able to follow up with it moving forward as well. Yeah, I would just say, Shenandoah, if um, anyone has questions on that, best thing to do is to just shoot us an email um, at john, J-O-N, at cuttingconsultinggroup.com. And, you know, with our partnership with John Randall, um, who does a lot of our coaching uh, for advisors, we've been finding a lot of advisors through our podcast uh, are interested in how we can help them uh, solve some of these problems. And, you know, John Randall is under the hood fully within my wealth management business uh, and is someone that I rely on for advice. And he's expert at these things. You know, it's not there. There's, there's folks that can help you with these pieces if they're important to you and you're really trying to, you know, to build these kind of systems and processes within your business. So with that, Shenandoah, I've got to say a final goodbye. It is sad. This was fun again. I thought it was another uh, great podcast. Maybe we'll have you back on as a guest uh, and you can talk about all the exciting things that you're doing again in the future. But thank you, uh, honestly, sincerely for helping me get this started. Um, without you, we wouldn't have gotten the podcast started and uh, you've really helped, you know, helped this. And I think it's helping so many advisors. So on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you. You will be missed. And uh, we really do appreciate uh, all you've done. And like I said, it's not a goodbye. It's a see you later. Or, a, you know, ciao, tata, however you want to say it. But definitely, <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back around and definitely stay in touch. And it definitely has been a great experience. I've learned a lot and we've gotten great feedback. It definitely is helping a lot of advisors were trying to be as um, proactive and uh, tactical as possible. So I look forward to seeing what you guys do with it in the future. Um, one more, I'll see y'all later. <laughs> I'll see y'all later. Yeah, that's the one thing. I, I mean, you've got to get some some color in here. Somebody's got to get some of that balancing that New York flavor. You know, you got to get some of that Southern vibe in there. <laughs> forget about it. We'll find somebody. Forget about it. I'm sure you will. We'll get, there's some Texans on your team. We'll get them up there. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Great, great. Well, if you think that you would make a great guest or you know someone who would, be sure to check out the link in the show notes and you can submit yourself or someone you know to be one of our next topics on the Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors podcast. And uh, I will see you and hear you all later in the future episodes. I know that they will do a great job. So long. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.